Hello, and welcome back to the Competing Biblically podcast. Today, Nick and I dive into 1 John 4 and discuss the foundation of what it means to compete biblically, as well as some practical ways that it plays out in everyday life. So thank you for joining us. Let's dive into the next episode. So like I said, today we are tackling the foundation of competing biblically, which is we love for God first loved us. And Nick, I think we had talked about earlier how this competing biblically framework, it's really, it's applied to all of life. You know, we can apply it to an athletic realm, but this is something that is applicable to all areas of life. And so if you hear we love because God first loved us, what does that have to do with sports? Well, it applies to everything, including sports. For sure. And sport is a microcosm of life. It's, um, uh, it's just one small section, but it encompasses all of life. So uh, knowing that we uh, are able to love God because he first loved us uh, definitely is an overflow into sport, but it's also the heartbeat of life as well. So uh, there's applications all over the place, but we're going to lock in on some of the sport applications and how uh, we can yeah, live that out. How can we love God as a response, um, which Seth will talk to you about in a little bit, but yeah. how we love God as a response in sport. Yeah. And we did talk about last time as well, I believe. You mentioned how you know sports is the microcosm of life. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we did talk about last time how... Um, <laughs> I breathed water. <laughs> you all right? Nothing? Yeah, I'm alive. Okay. Um, we did talk about last time how sports really bring your heart to the surface and it's visible. And so how you react to things on the field and at practice probably are how you react to things in life, um, even if it's in a little more composed manner when emotions aren't high. So these things are especially especially applicable um, to the world of sport. Yeah, the Bible talks about it all the time. Like out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. Um, because it doesn't come from nowhere. Like the things that come out of our mouth in an argument, the things that come out in our actions when we're frustrated in some form of road rage or whatever, like those are things that are actually stored up in our heart. They're not by accident. They are, they're there because we really do believe those things. Yeah. That's convicting. So myself, <laughs> coach, athlete, if things come out of your mouth or out of your heart during competition, sometimes we say it's just the heat of the moment, but those things are actually there. Yeah. And that's why I love calling sport the pressure cooker of sport. Uh, because of the pressure and because of the heat of moments, it just shows us what's what's in the heart right away. Uh, that's what, one of the things I love about being in sports ministry is I, I don't have to guess a lot of where my guys and gals are at uh, sport gives me a glimpse into their heart pretty quickly. Let's go ahead and and dive into the scripture. So like I said, today we're laying a foundation for the idea of competing biblically. Um, If you want to live and compete in a way that is according to the word of God, by the power of God, and for the glory of God, we're going to get into all kinds of things in this podcast. You cannot do them unless this foundational piece is there. And I'm Well, maybe I'll change that. I'm not going to say you can't do them. You can make behavior changes. It's possible to make behavior changes apart from God. But your heart 
has not changed. Um, the true change that Christ is looking for, that Jesus is looking for in our lives, cannot happen apart from this. So the scripture we're going to be diving into is 1 John 4. And we're going to be, just for the sake of practicality, we're going to be focusing in on verses 19 to 21. If you have time, I highly recommend um, everyone to go and read that chapter. Specifically, I think it starts in verse 7, where it starts talking about love. And all of it is just a lot of great things in there. Um, but we're going to pick it up on verse 19. So this is what it says, 1 John 4, 19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So Nick, what are the things that that stick out to you when you read that? Oftentimes, I can be tricked into thinking that I am bringing something to the table, that I have something special to offer the Lord. And in this passage and many others, it's clear that uh, God is the initiator, that, mm. that I'm able to love him because he first loved us, because he first loved me. Uh, I'm unable to please God. I'm un- unable to love God. I can't even really have faith in God without God's help. So mm-hmm. um, it's just super comforting. It's so comforting to know that. And what I've also seen uh, in the midst of in the midst of that is um, we talked about a passage from uh, from Luke. Uh, I think it is. What, what was that pa- the the address of that passage? Luke seven thirty six to fifty. Yeah, we we talked about the passage of scripture in Luke seven thirty six through fifty, where um, the Lord Jesus is invited to dinner by a Pharisee. He comes in, and um, this woman who was known to be a sinner in that city. So you can color in the lines of what type of sin this woman was caught in, but. Uh, she was known as a sinner in that city, and as soon as Jesus comes in, she knows who he is, she knows what he's about, she knows that he's the Messiah, and he she gets on her hands and knees and with her tears um, and with her hair, washes his feet and takes this expensive ointment and rubs it on his feet. And all the time that that's happening, um, the Pharisee, uh, whose name Simon, is there, and he's uh, watching what's going on. And t- in his mind, he thinks, if he only, if he was a prophet, he would know what type of woman, who it is that's touching him. And this is one of the things. Just a quick rabbit trail. One of the things that just blows my mind uh, with Jesus's ministry with the Pharisees is like he's constantly reading their mail. Mm-hmm. Like he's constantly telling them what they're thinking. Yeah. Like that would freak me out a little bit and maybe cause me to believe. But yeah, so Jesus responds to his thought, Simon's thought, and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon responds and says, well, then say it, teacher. And Jesus le- leads into this illustration and says, there are two men who owned, owed a debt. Uh, one was owed 50 denarii, another was owed 500 denarii, and their master forgave them both. And he asked him and said, which one loves their master more? And Simon replies, well, I guess the one who was forgiven more. And Jesus responds with, yeah, you've answered correctly, and then uses this woman to answer the illustration. And he said, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. Mm-hmm. And those who have been forgiven little love little. And then he goes in to talk about like the customs. She, he was like, I came in to your house. You did not greet me with a kiss. She has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not wash my feet. She washed them with her tears in her hair. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Because she understood the depth of her sin. She was known Mm -hmm. as a sinner. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she was no question about it. And she knew that there could be forgiveness found in the Messiah. Uh, And so Jesus said, because of this, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And then that caused all types of stuff down the road. But how does that relate back to 1 John uh, 4.19? For me, when I read that, they kind of go hand in hand with one another that uh, we can only know the ex- we can only love God to the extent that we understand we've been forgiven, mm-hmm. and Jesus even takes. And maybe you think to yourself, okay, but I've never killed anybody, I've never committed adultery, I've never done any of the big high-handed sins. Um, and Jesus takes all those things and goes to a whole other level of the mind. He says. Um, if you've ever looked on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you've been angry with your brother, then you've committed murder in your heart. Um, so the, to the point that we understand that we had to be forgiven at that level. When I, I always thought like that when I grow up in Christ, I will be mature and I won't deal with sin anymore. Man, I look forward to those days. The exact opposite has happened. As I've grown closer to Christ, I realize how far short I fall. Yep to his glory like for all for all of sin and fall short of god's glory i realized that i'm i don't even feel like i'm playing the same game most days mm-hmm. <laughs> not that just like i'm missing the mark i'm missing the mark as an archery term like it, that's an archery term i feel like i'm i don't know playing football or field hockey or yeah. something like i'm in a whole nother arena mm-hmm. um but that's the to me that's what this verse like pulls out is like i need to Sometimes we avoid our sin, but almost like we don't want to talk about it. We want to ignore it. But no, we need to be forgiven of it. It needs to be washed clean. It needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be repented of. And when I am able to receive God's forgiveness for that, when I know that that's how deep he had to go to to forgive my sin, it changes my vertical relationship with him. Then it also changes my horizontal relationship with others. This is just popping in my mind when you said that, Nick, is um, the idea that the Lord has really pressed upon me lately that salvation is a miracle. Mm. And um, like I've witnessed a couple. My brother was, I'm not going to go into detail, but he was miraculously healed from liver failure. He was going to die. Um, and the Lord saved him. He healed him. That was a miraculous thing. Outside of God's power, it could not happen. Um, salvation is the same way. Like mm-hmm. salvation cannot happen yeah. outside of the power of God. And the more you can know and have the perspective of how much it took at what price Christ paid for your salvation and the miracle that it is, the more you know the sinfulness in your Mm -hmm. heart and what you've been forgiven of and what you're being healed of, the more you're going to be grateful and live that out and be able to love others around you. Yeah. Um, And that's what, um, as you're saying that, it brings me back to like 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, um, do you not know that you were bought with a price? Your life mm-hmm. is not your own. Like, it's such a great reminder. Or in Galatians, there's some, Paul uses similar language to talk to them as well. But, like, your life is not your own. The life that you now live in the body, you live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, we're, we were bought with a price. Like, it, it costs something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it costs the Lord 
a lot. Mm-hmm. Now it's a free gift to us. I think also the sad thing is, is, is I, I actually think a lot of people don't view salvation as a starting line, mm-hmm. but a lot of times they see it as a finish line. Yeah. That like, okay, well, uh, I'm saved. Now just have to kind of wait this thing out until I get to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And that couldn't be further from the biblical truth. Mm-hmm. That, and that's the whole purpose of this whole competing biblically framework. And it could really be called something much different. Um, but we wanted to choose this name because it got at the heart of what we're talking about. Yeah. Like competing according to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the Bible speaks about is mission. Yeah. That we are saved not only – sometimes we talk a lot about what we're saved from. Like we're saved from our sin, mm. we're saved from death, we're saved from hell, we're saved from Satan's um, power, but we're also saved to something as well. Yeah, We're saved to a new life in Christ. It's not just that we're saved from the past patterns of sin and we get to repent of those things, although that is a gift that we get to repent of those things, uh, but we're also saved to a new life a mm-hmm. new and new loves. Now, we're saved to a new love of God, that we were once enemies with God, but now we're saved to a new love-filled relationship. Like, like, we, we're gonna, like we just said, like love is a response to God's love to us. Like we are responding back in love to the love that we've been given. Um, and we're also saved to a new mission. We're saved to a new family in the church, mm-hmm. that there are are a bunch of things still to happen after salvation. It's not just that, hey, okay, boom, you're saved, you're in, now just hang out until I come back and collect you. It was like, no, okay, you're saved, you're in, now join me in my work, co-mission with me in the work that I have, which is to see the world filled with image bearers, whether Mm -hmm. that's the Great Commission or kind of tracing that back even to Adam and Eve in the garden, mm-hmm. being told to go subdue the earth, have dominion, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. Mm-hmm. Like It's the same mission that we've been given from the beginning, but now seen in its fuel, full view through through Christ. So we got to see that we're also, we're not just saved from sin to just kind of wait out the, the woes of this world, uh, but we're saved to a mi- to co-mission with Christ on this new mission with his with his family, the church, and with new love mm-hmm. for him and for others. Yeah. When I think about that, I think of the idea of um, eternal life starts here. Now we don't experience it in fullness here, but that life begins here. And once you experience that, and you know that it is not of you, it's nothing that um, that you could do on your own. I feel like the natural reaction is to want to be on mission, to want to go and participate in the work of God, to bring other people in to this kingdom. Um, the scripture brings to my mind the phrase, love is not an action, it's a reaction. And I know, Nick, we were talking, and you like the word response more than reaction. I do. Okay. And I'm sure we have, I'm sure we have our reasons for it. Um, Maybe when we're growing in Christ, it is a response. But really, I feel like the more we draw close to Christ, it is 
a natural reaction. There are things that I had to practice uh, or restrain or think about things differently. Um, but now they are, thankfully, by the grace of God, they are my natural reaction because I have been changed into a different person. I was sharing with a huddle, an FCA huddle at a school a while ago. They were talking about something really vague, like be a light, um, which is all around our culture. Our, our culture tells everyone, you need to be a light for the people around you. And we're talking about the sun and stars. And, and I, while, we're, while they were sitting there sharing, I was thinking and I shared, I was like, I really feel like we've been called more not to be the sun or a star, but we're called to be the moon. Like Jesus is the light. And we are to reflect that light to others. And, and it's, it's highlighted here in 1 John 4. I'm going to look at, go back a little bit to a verse that really stuck out to me. And it's verse, it's verse 10. And this is why I recommend everyone read this whole chapter. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So love does not come from us. It says this is love. Not that we love him. Okay, you are not saved because you love God. You are saved because God loves you. And so the source of love is not within us. You cannot try to love someone more without the grace of God. God is the source of love, and we are called to reflect that love. So when, when we know that God loves us, we then also will love others. Um, so that, that's a little bit of my thought of how love is a reaction. I'm sure you had some thoughts off of that, Nick. Yeah, I love that imagery, imagery of being like the moon, reflecting what the sun does, is we don't have any, any interest of it. The moon doesn't have any interest of its own, but just simply reflects the glory that the sun has. And, and that's the beautiful thing about sport. And I'd love to take a couple minutes and dive into what does it look like in sport to reflect the sun's love. Yeah, so what comes to mind to you when you think about how does this love as a response, love as a reaction, play out on the field as a coach or uh, an athlete? I mean, all kinds of things. From the coaching perspective, insecurities that people have, you know, they project in the world, you know, of athletics to try and be something that they might be insecure about themselves. And what is that? That's them trying to initiate a love for themselves or even for other people to love them. So I really feel like in order, you know, you have to allow God's love to take care of those insecurities. Well, that's working through those, whether there's things that you need to deal with or insecurities that you just don't need to have because they're not true. Like we need to be confident in who God has made us to be in a healthy way. So that way, when you are competing, when you're coaching, when you're at your job, whatever you're doing, you're not acting out of trying to project something or trying to be something. You're acting out of a response and a reaction to God's love. That's one of the first things that comes to my mind. Yeah, I think along with that, going back to the woman um, who was in that, that story that Jesus told in Luke 7, is she didn't hide who she was. Mm-hmm. Like everybody knew who she was. And I wouldn't say that she owned it proudly, but she definitely knew that she had faults. She was able to examine herself. That's one of the things that the love of God mm. allows us to do is to be honest. Yeah. Be honest with ourselves. Know where we fall short. We don't uh, – I remember uh, Coach Braxton, who was my offensive line coach in college and is the current offensive line coach at Delaware State University, uh, after working with Pete Carroll um, and, the, and his staff um, with the Seattle Seahawks for the summer in an internship program uh, through the NFL – 
he came back and, and said something that was really interesting, that like the way that they practiced as a team and as a family in Seattle was it was my job as a defensive lineman to expose your flaws as an offensive mm. lineman. That one of the ways that I got to love you, one of the ways that we got to be family, is that I would not allow your weaknesses, your shortcomings, to remain hidden. Mm-hmm. But it was my job to help to expose them so that you could be better and so that I could be better. But so often in sport, we want to hide our weaknesses. We want to hide where we fall short. We want to fa- hide our imperfections. But instead, it was like the heart behind that was so that your weaknesses could become your strengths. Yeah, That which you lacked in, you now became proficient in. And it's only, like it's easier to do that when you've experienced the love of God. And I mean, that's really the role of a, of a coach, to expose weaknesses, to help you improve on those things. And sometimes a role as a coach is you have to show people where they're wrong. But um, I think personally as a coach, especially if you are a head coach, but in the athletic world, we just always want to make it seem like we know what we're doing. You know, we have control of the situation all the time. And it's, it's almost like an alpha mentality that we need to to be the one in control, have it all together, to look a certain way. And if you're a head coach, you have a coaching team around you, whether that's you know only one head coach and one assistant, or maybe you have three or four assistants, or maybe you have a whole program, but you have people around you. Let them hold you accountable. If you know the areas that you are weak, let them know, let them step in, let them bring their strengths. And as a staff, sharpen each other. Don't feel like you have to have this pretense of, you know everything, now, you are the leader. You do need to be the leader of that of that staff. That's the position. That's what you were asked to do. But let people know what you need. I mean, humility will would solve a lot of issues, especially when you have people that are placed around you to assist you in your role. Yeah, and you, humility comes from a place of being able to admit you need help. And going back to that story, like that woman knew she needed help. Mm-hmm. She put all of her chips in on this basket of, of Jesus being able to forgive her. So she laid, she laid into it. She leaned into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same is true for us as athletes. We're gonna, we're gonna look at this in the next couple, in the next couple episodes. But um, there's these four things that kind of come out of, out of this love, this foundation of being loved by God. Uh, so that we can love God and so that we can love others. That's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is the the summation that Jesus gives of the law. And we're going to look at these, these couple areas. Like being loved by God should empower us to engage sport with our whole heart, mm-hmm. everything that we got to be able to engage sport with a clear mind, not fogged by all those other voices, not fogged by the lies and the approval of men, um, our own sub subconscious, our own negative self-talk, all those type of things. Um, so a whole heart, clear mind, a strong will, a resolve. Uh, and, and by the way, just a, this whole competing biblically thing could be comprised of, of one saying, not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. Like that's really what this means. What does it mean to live a life that's pleasing to God? What does it mean to play sport? What does it mean to coach sport? What does it mean to be a parent in sport? It means saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. Laying down what I think, going to God in his word, trusting the Holy Spirit in the circumstances that it's playing out, but just saying with a strong will, 
not what I think, God, but what you say. Mm-hmm. Your word has the final say. And then finally, a great passion. I, I always like the myth around Christian athletes is that they're soft they've lost their they've lost their edge all these things when actually the the opposite is true i had a greater passion when i came to christ mm-hmm. because i'm playing for so much so, something say, so much bigger you're playing for something more than a win yeah, yeah. there's there's a there's a whole other motivation that mm-hmm. no one else can see feel touch or experience and it's a deeper it's a it's a not it like goes a motivation so, it it's, goes so it's much a deeper mm-hmm. like now like when i compete I compete with a conviction inside of me, if that makes sense. Yeah, because like uh, my pursuit of excellence is no longer because I want to be known as great. I want to be known as great. I want my name to be recognized. That's why I played. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted my name in the newspaper. I played yeah. offensive line. It did not happen often. <laughs> but when I got my name in the newspaper, I'm like, yes. Or when I was recognized as first team whatever, it mm-hmm. gave me validation. No longer competing for that. No longer living for that. But I'm pursuing excellent because I serve the God who created the universe, mm-hmm. who created all things, who holds all things together. And he's given me these talents and these abilities. And now I get to respond in worship. I was getting ready to say. And I get to pursue excellence in worship of him. And then it's no longer just... Love your teammate because they're a part of the team. Now it goes even deeper. Mm-hmm. Like, because Jesus loved me with the type of love that caused him to die and rise from the dead and, and then give me that same power that Christ was raised from the dead with, now you're asking me to love my brother because you'd lay down your life for me and you laid down your life for him? That's why we're brothers? That's why we're knit together? And to see that played out in a team environment, that's a whole nother level mm-hmm. of a motivation for a great passion to have a quote-unquote edge. Um, it's just no longer manifested in, in ugliness. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's no longer with this malicious intent, but rather from a worshipful place of joy. Like, mm-hmm. Regardless of outcomes, my junior and senior year were not as good as the two previous, but having Christ... Even in the midst of terrible, not terrible outcomes, but... Not what you wanted. Yeah, not like we weren't pursuing championships my last two years. We were my first two. Mm-hmm. But even even not having that, I had so much more joy and life and clarity and competing was just more fun. Mm-hmm. Like I had more fun because I had joy. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't worried about, well, what does this person think and what does that person think? I was saying, well, God, not my will, but yours be done. And if I'm seeking to, to live out your will, I'm seeking to respond to your love with love for you and love for others, then you're pleased. And I, that doesn't that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. And that others are blessed in the process is incredible. Yeah. A super practical way to think about how to love others since, you know, since God loved us. It's not about you. I mean, when you know God's love, you realize as intense and real as God's love for you is, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. And when you can live that way, um, that's a really practical think about, am I living out the love of God the way I, with the way I compete is, are you making it about you? Mm. And athlete, when you do the dirty work on the field, when you're that person who does a lot of the work that nobody sees, but so-and-so gets interviewed by the newspaper and so-and-so gets a mention from coach after the game, it's not about you. In every situation, just reacting and knowing that it's not about you. And 
as I grew, that was something I had to think about. And now, hopefully, I hope the people around me would affirm this, that it's a natural response to situations. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I wanted to share that came to mind was something we talked about earlier, Nick, in preparation for this podcast, how we talk about we love because God first loved us. And I remember you mentioned so much of the sports world is motivated by anger or Mm -hmm. frustration. And we're taught to channel um, anger and frustration to motivate us to compete. And while I think that's a healthier way of dealing with anger and frustration than arguing, getting in fights and yelling and all that, I would just ask, like, is anger and frustration what drives you as a person or as drives you to compete? Because the more I grow in Christ, the more my, like we talk about that conviction, that is what drives me. So, like, what drives you or what motivates you to compete? Um, is that God's love or is it not? I mean, I think that's a pretty simple question, but that's that's a really practical thing mm-hmm. to take away. Um, does God's love, is that the main motivator for why we compete? I think anger anger works in the short term. Mm-hmm. Love works long term. Mm-hmm. And we know this, that there's no greater love than this, than of a man who would lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus goes on in that famous saying to say, and yes, indeed, I call you my friends. Uh, because I'm sharing wow. with you things that I would only share with friends, mm-hmm. which is really <clears throat> great news. And speaking of the, speaking of great news, the good news, the gospel, uh, Seth and I are on staff with FCA here in Delaware, and um, we have, we call it the four, but it's just a, a gospel presentation. But um, this one, we'd be remiss not to talk about God's love without sharing this, that and God is an incredible God who is motivated and has a heart of love. In fact, in first John, it says that God is love. It's actually uh, the same chapter we were talking about today. Yeah. It's one of the earlier verses. Yeah. So God, I think it's verse nine, like God is love. Uh, that's who he is. That's what he is. Um, one of his, uh, defining characteristics and out of love, uh, out of his holiness, out of his character, he created the world He created the universe, he created us. Uh, so in fact, <clears throat> he created us in love. Um, knowing that he would love us and created us uh, to be like him. And in the midst of that, uh, Adam and Eve and us, we've sinned and fallen short of that glory. We've fallen short of that standard of love, and that has divided us from the Lord. Um, There's only one way that we can be reconciled from that divide. And we saw in that story, like, it's not a small divide. It's a large divide. It's a huge gap. In fact, it's bigger than we think it is. It's deeper than we think it is. But there was only one way for that to be reconciled, and that was through the cross, through Jesus hanging on the cross, uh, for him dying the death that we deserve to die, uh, paying a penalty that he did not deserve to pay, extending grace and mercy, us getting what we don't deserve and not getting what we do deserve. On the cross, he paid that penalty, and then he went to the grave and he rose from it to prove that 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 check was cashed, that he was able to pay for the wrath, death, and separation that our sin had caused. And then finally, the, the, the last part of the four is a question mark. What are you going to do with this good news? Because that's, that's the beauty of this thing. It's like, you, we got to do something with it. You have to do something with this good news because it is out there. It happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, even histori- Historians would agree. Mm-hmm. The death and, resurre- like death and resurrection accounts of Jesus happened. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? 
How's that going to play out in your life? Are you going to be compelled to live a life in response to God's love with love for him and love for people, love for your neighbor? Or are you going to reject it and just continue to live life in indifference? Are you going to play in a manner? Are you going to compete biblically, go to the Bible to figure out what, what is God saying about the way I compete or coach or parent? Or am I going to keep... I'm going to ignore it and just do things my own way. Um, there's a lot of great information on fcaresources.com about the four. There's also a website dedicated to it, thefour.fca.org, thefour.fca.org. Uh, it is a great website with some videos from uh, some well-known uh, personalities around sport explaining not just the gospel, but also what are the next steps. And there's a way to respond there. If you have put faith in Christ and you want to get connected to God's family, whether that is through an FCA huddle uh, and then ultimately getting plugged into a local church, it'll send us information so we can help you get connected. Yeah. I think that's just a perfect tie-in because when we talk about we love because God first loved us, what we've been talking about is the gospel. I mean, God loves us and made us. We talked about our fallenness and how much as you walk with the Lord, how much we know that we need God. And then the sacrifice that Jesus has made, what he went through for us to save us. Um, and then what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is that is perfect. So thank you guys for joining us today. If Please, if uh, you felt compelled, go over to the4.fca.org and look at that. Um, as always, my email is in the description of the episode if you want to reach out to me we love having you guys thank you for being with us i'm really excited for our next batch of episodes as we talk about how we compete with a whole heart clear mind strong will and great passion talk to you guys soon